This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the first breakfast show with me, your host, Flora Cooper. Uh, really looking forward to this show and seeing what we get up to and what we talk about. But today's theme is about learning. It's about what effective learning looks this like in your school. And you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. All right. So welcome everyone. And as I said, this is my first show. We've got two great guests on today. We've got Diana Pardo and we've got Sharman Raman, um, which I will introduce shortly. But today's theme is all about learning. What does effective learning actually look like in practice? So at our school, we have something called purple learning, and we're going to talk a lot about this during the show, but it's really just the scaffold which we use to teach children about what they need to be effective learners. And we obviously, the core purpose of what we do in school is about learning, um, and it's about making sure that we are creating effective learners, but also creating an effective learning environment. And that's what this show is all about. It's about how do we put this into practice? How do we make sure it's not just posters on a wall, but it's actually taking place? And we're going to have lots of questions throughout this show, so please do join in and make sure you answer the questions as we go along, and make sure as well you tweet out to at TT Radio 2022, and also use the hashtag TT Radio 2022. So do also make sure you're asking any questions when we get Diana on um, when she joins us and also Sharman when she joins us as well. So we're going to be talking, as I said, about what effective learning looks like. And my first question out to all of you is, what does effective learning look like for you? What does effective learning look like in your school? What does it look like? So I think we all have our own definitions of what it means. And it's about making sure that not only do we share this with our learners, but we're also sharing it with our staff because everyone needs to have a clear, clear definition of what learning is. So one of the things I wanted to start with is in our school, we have part of our vision statement is actually from a book called Empower. It's a brilliant book written by Spencer and Giuliani. Um, and there's a sentence in it that we've actually pulled into the vision. And it's, our job is not to prepare students for something. 
Our job is to help students prepare themselves for anything. So I'm going to say that again. So listen really carefully. Our job is not to prepare students for something. Our job is to help students prepare themselves for anything. And this is what schools should be doing. It's about helping their children and their students prepare themselves for anything. And within this, we talk about things like resilience. We talk about bounce back ability. Um, we talk about all these different things because it, it's about making sure that the children understand how to develop resilience, how to develop perseverance, um, and how they develop all these different skills. All right, so we've got a couple of people who are here joining us. I can see some people listening in, and we're just waiting for our callers to call in, my guests. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do is, before we move on to the guests, I'm going to start with our news, and I'm going to play that, and then when we come back, hopefully we will have Diana Pardo on to talk about successful learning and what that looks like. So here we go. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N.co.uk. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. 
visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. report on the Politics Home website explores the issue of the UK granting refuge to staff and students at British international schools in Ukraine. In a letter to Boris Johnson, Colin Bell, CEO of the Council of British International Schools, urged the Prime Minister to provide a safe haven to 700 children and numerous Ukrainian staff at schools in the war-torn country. Under the current scheme, only Ukrainians with relatives in the UK are entitled to seek refuge while those with no family links must be sponsored by a person, business, charity or organisation. The British International School has three campuses in capital Kyiv and the city Dimpiro, both under siege from Russian military. In the letter, Bell says they have significant concern for the 700 children enrolled in the school, and he requests reassurance that no barrier will be put in their way to enter the UK. A government spokesperson responded to Politics Home by reiterating the rules of schemes currently in place. In Scotland, the TES magazine reports that Scotland's largest teaching union has opened a consultative strike ballot over Dundee City Council's proposals to move to a faculty structure in its secondary schools. Faculties have long been established in many parts of Scotland and involve more than one subject being grouped together under the leadership of a faculty head. The EIS Teaching Union is urging all of its members in Dundee Secondary Schools to support strike action. Critics of the faculty approach argue that it is driven by cost-cutting rather than improving standards. The EIS says the plan for Dundee will cost money and remove valuable experience and leadership. Stuart Hunter of Dundee City Council said, The change is designed to improve the quality of learning and teaching in our secondary schools and is only one of a range of measures to improve the situation as we work to reduce the attainment gap. In an article in the Daily Nigerian, Dr Peter Ogodoro, 2021 Facebook Community Accelerator Award winner, says functional education delivered by highly motivated teachers should be considered Africa's route out of poverty. Mr Ogodoro made the comments whilst addressing Kenyan teachers in Nairobi. He said that Facebook was supporting a Nigerian teachers community of over 300,000 members to promote learner-centred teaching. He said Facebook was assisting teachers in acquiring cutting-edge skills in teaching and school promotion to help improve teacher welfare and promote economic well-being. Speaking about teachers' conditions of service, he encouraged public and private school owners to pay teachers well and invest enormously in their development. Mr Ogodoro said he founded the Nigerian Teachers Facebook community in 2016 as a platform for teachers to share free resources for quality teaching and networking. Mr Ogodoro is an alumnus of the University of Reading, where he earned a PhD in education. The National Association of Head Teachers Union reports on its website that leaders representing schools across Wales were joined by their Education Minister Jeremy Miles as they debated key issues for schools in Wales at NAHT Cymru's annual policy conference. Delegates will debate and agree key policy objectives on curriculum and assessment, accountability, well-being, funding, as well as a range of other issues. Karina Hansen, president of NAHT Cymru, thanked him for joining to hear the concerns of school leaders in Wales. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. 
This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, today I'm responding to a tweet from Michelle Stevens at m underscore Stevens zero, pointing out to at Team English One that a lot of people don't know about the snipping tool, and she was compiling a list of shortcuts. The thread sparked a lot of fantastic responses and inspired today's Two Minute Tech. Today I present Getting Snippy With It. In Windows, a simple shortcut combo of Windows plus Shift plus S opens the snipping tool. The snipping tool is like an advanced version of print screen. After the combo key press, a small menu appears giving you five options. Rectangle select, which is draw a box around what you want, freeform select which is draw a shape around what you want, window select which is pick the window you want to capture, screen select which captures the full screen or replication of the print screen button. Some may say there's no point to this but stay tuned, there is. Finally there's a cross to close and pressing escape can do the same thing. If you have an interactive board you can pin snip and sketch to your taskbar, right click the icon and select pin to taskbar. Now you can press it to make screen grabs and not have to go over to the keyboard. Snip and sketch also gives you the ability to annotate on a screenshot. To make this even more powerful did you know pressing Windows and V shows your last 25 captures to your clipboard? The first time you use this, you'll need to switch on the feature by pressing Windows and V and agreeing to switch it on. Now you can take several screen captures and then paste them into the app you're presenting with. This can be very time efficient. For this week's visual version of the episode, I've made a series of clips and given some real life examples of using the snipping tool. So don't forget to check out TT Radio 2020 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Brilliant, and welcome back, everyone. So just to remind you, we are on here today for my first show, The Breakfast Show, uh, with guests Diana Pardo and Sharman Rahman. And we're talking about effective learning. What does successful learning look like in practice in school? What does it look like in your school? What is effective learning? So I think I should start by saying that first of all, doing this radio show is completely out of my comfort zone. And I think when Diana and I were talking um, about doing this show, it was out of her comfort zone too, which is great because comfort zones is what it's all about. And what we do in our school every single day when we are talking to the children, we talk to them about their comfort zones. We tell them that they should be stepping out of their comfort zones into their challenge zones. And that's where I definitely am today. So Di, I'm definitely a purple learner. I'm gonna bring Di on now. Di and I have known each other for the last eight years. She is probably one of the best humans I know. And she's actually become a really good friend in the time that I've known her. But I brought her in within the first six months of being at school. Actually, it was within four months. It was in my first term. And I knew that we needed to get to the heart of learning. And that's where Di came in. So I'm going to bring Di on. Let me get her. Di, are you there? I certainly am, Flora. Good morning. Good morning. It's so amazing to have you. On my first show, I had to have Di, and I told her, you have to do my first show. <laughs> Don't know how happy she was about that, but thank you for being here. So Di is going to talk to us about a little bit about her, and 
Diana, do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about your journey and who you are? Okay, Flora, will do. Um, and like you, I'm definitely out of my comfort zone this morning. Um, <laughs> but it's good, to, it's good to have you on the other end and know that you're there. So, yes, um, I'm delighted, really, that you asked me to join you on your first show, even though I've been feeling slightly sick for the last hour. Um, but, yes, so my journey. Well, I've always been in education. I've always been a teacher. Um, started out in primary education, tried secondary education for a while, but most of my experience and expertise has been in the primary phase um, in various different areas across the country. Um, I finally ended up in Bristol, um, where I became a deputy head. And following that, um, I developed a real passion for children's learning while I was, while I was in the role and um, moved to work for the local authority with an assessment for learning brief back in the early 2000s. And following that, um, I secured a role as a learning coach in South Bristol. Um, and I was there for five years doing some extremely challenging and rewarding work in an area of high social deprivation in South Bristol. Um, and quickly realized that actually the way to engage children more effectively in their learning was to start with the whole community and to start with looking at what these children really needed rather than what they should be doing at a particular given time in school. So it was while I was there that I started really studying the, the impact of the changes that we could make. And rather than looking about what schools and teachers could do, looking at what learners and children and young people needed. And it was as a result of that, that I got into all of my work um, on successful learning. And after that began to develop my own independent um, role, um, which is during that time that I met you, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things as well, obviously, I knew about you through your book, Towards Successful Learning. And if you haven't read it or you haven't seen it, you need to get yourself a copy because it, it's brilliant and it just helps you as a school to start this learning journey. So this is a difficult one, Di, but summarize Towards Successful Learning for us. Um, that's very difficult to do briefly, <laughs> but I think the most important thing to say here is that in order to really understand what I mean by successful learning is the first thing you have to do is analyze what you understand by learning um, and having done this many 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 dozens of times now in adult groups and with groups of children I know only too well how those definitions can be different from each other and it's about getting with any group of people that you work with, whether it's children or adults, a collective understanding of what learning means to you. Then you start on the word success. What does success mean? What does success look like? And depending on your audience, that can mean a whole range of different things as well. And in the eyes of many children, success is about getting it right, not making mistakes, being the first to finish. And it's about unpicking what success really means and really looks like. And when you've done both of those things, you can begin to put together 
an understanding of what it would then mean to be a successful learner. And anecdotally, if, um, if you try this with a group of adults or children and ask them to close their eyes and put their hands up if they think they're successful learners, remarkably few children and adults do, apart from our very youngest learners in early years, who haven't yet learned that they're not successful. So they tend to put their hands up, whereas the older we get, the less secure we come, become about our own personal learning success. Yeah, and I remember you doing that when you came into our school for that inset and hardly anyone put their hands up and that's a room full of adults. And it's a room full of highly skilled professional adults who have had incredibly detailed and long learning journeys themselves. So that kind of illustrates my point. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, so we've had lots of discussions about this and, you know, we've talked about the impact that COVID has had. We've talked about the fact that, you know, government is saying catch up. Um, we've got to catch up. You've got to fill the gaps and all the money is, is being spent on maths and English and, and, ensuring that standards are achieved and data is handed in and it's all this constant pressure. Now, when I started as head at Cromarsh, the first thing I knew we needed to do was get the culture of learning right. And I still feel as though this is the priority. Though I've had conversations with people quite recently saying, how can that be the base, you know, the first thing that you do. Actually, we should be looking at the skills of maths and English first. So why do you think this needs to be the basis of everything we do in school? I think we don't live in an either or world. I've had many conversations in the past where um, what I have been talking about has been generally well accepted, but in some cases it's been, yes, but Di, we have to focus on the standards agenda. Um, and I've said, well, what is it that you think I'm talking about? Because this isn't an either or. It's a doing both together and well. And I think we really need as educators to look at education as the long game for so long and for certainly a great deal of my long career now. It's all been about quick fixes and what can we do to make a difference quickly and we know we know the pitfalls of that and i think realistically education we need to play the long game and playing the long game means we need to get the culture right first before we can layer in anything else on top we live in a very high stakes assessment culture and we have done for some time and this has the impact of marginalizing a significant number of our children and young people and we witness this all the time in schools, as I was just explaining, you know, the children who believe that they're successful learners. It's roughly about 90% of any group at the age of four, 60% at the age of seven, and it decreases to something like 30 to 40% by the age of 11, which kind of demonstrates that their, their opinion of themselves has changed. And if we improve the culture of learning, we decrease the potential for marginalization because if we enable 
our children to see themselves as valuable, that they have worth, that they can all become powerful learners in different areas of their learning. We can increase their confidence, their self-belief and reduce their anxiety. Then they're more willing to have a go at things that they're uncertain about. And in the long run, that will clearly lead to better outcomes for everybody. And I think that in this in this sort of post-COVID pandemic world, we know how many of our children have returned to school with decreased levels of confidence. And so it seems to me quite obvious that the first thing that we need to do is to enable them to feel comfortable and secure and start to build up their confidence and remind them of all the learning skills that they've developed over time, which aren't necessarily visible on a piece of paper, but are there within them. And we need to demonstrate to them and bring that out so that they can see and hear and understand what those skills are. Yeah, completely agreed. And the thing is, is when I have these conversations with people, debates, which they shouldn't be debates, but how can you focus on maths and English when you don't have the learning right? Because that is what underpins everything is learning. And if, yeah, if it's not effectively embedded in the school that children understand what it means to be an effective learner, that the adults don't understand what it looks like and you know it, it sounds like to be an effective learner then how can we ever even start thinking about filling gaps in anything exactly but i think i do i i recognize the immense pressure that teachers are under all the time mm-hmm. and um it's it's easy to understand how how easy it is to get drawn into thinking, no, I have to, I have to focus on this quick fix because I have to close some gaps and I have to demonstrate that that I've done that. And it takes immense courage, I think, professional courage and very strong leadership within the schools to enable the teachers within the schools to have the freedom to develop what they most of them know and believe is the best way to approach learning in the classroom but it needs that support it needs that support and leadership because the pressure is enormous the pressure is enormous and I think that's the thing that teachers and leaders feel every day is this external pressure of Ofsted and the DFE saying fill these gaps catch up catch up Um, And you mentioned the word brave, and I'm always saying, yeah, it is brave, but actually it's about doing what's right for your children. Um, And I think, yeah, if you're a head teacher or a leader or even just, you know, a teacher in school, you use your voice and say that this is what needs to be in place. You have to start with the learners. You have to start with the staff. You have to get effective learning in place. Um, If you're listening, I am talking with Diana Pardo. If you've just joined us, don't forget to tweet, answer our questions. And it's at TT Radio 2022. Um, So I'm with Di Pardo, and we are talking about effective learning in schools and what it looks like. So Di, what does this look like 
then in schools? We're talking about developing it and embedding it, but what does it actually look like? Again, that's a really hard question to answer quickly, but yeah. it, because it's, what does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? Those are the three questions that I always ask of adults and children in schools. It looks like really happy, enthusiastic engagement in the task or whatever, whatever learning is going on. It is about enabling, it's about seeing our children being able to think for themselves and not being afraid of getting it wrong. It's about children being able to make good decisions and choices for themselves, to have some personal responsibility for their learning, to actually be able to organise themselves rather than be organised, to begin to set goals for themselves and make plans for themselves rather than have all the goals set for them and all the plans already made for them. And it's about giving them the opportunities to generate their own ideas and identify and find their own resources, their own, res their own sources of help. And from that to reach their own conclusions and then come up with more ideas. And the more we do that and the more we engage our children in this kind of deep learning, the more enthusiastic, the more engaged they are. So actually in the long term, the teacher's role becomes easier and they become more partners in learning. I've often talked to teachers about, you know, really as teachers, we're, more, we're just more experienced learners. We've just been doing it for longer. But we need to enable our children to see themselves as powerful learners. So that's, that's a little bit of what I would want to see in a classroom is, is children being able to do some of those things for themselves rather than have everything didactically given to them. Yeah, because it is about creating independent learners. I mean, Absolutely. our vision, yeah, our vision at Crow Marsh is that when the children leave year six, they go into secondary, they are ready for any challenge that comes their way. And they have that, you know, embedded within them about the resilience, the perseverance and knowing yeah. what to do yeah. when they come up against a challenge. The independence and the autonomy they need and to recognize that challenge is a huge part of learning um, and all the work that we did together you know on the on developing um, developing challenge and enabling children to experience what it feels like in the challenge zone and I think to make really good sense of that our children need a basic understanding of neuroscience mm. to understand why it's good for them to be out of their comfort zone why not and not the whole time we need to measure we, we need to ensure that our children spend some of the time doing things they feel completely confident with and therefore that they can perform at a high level and they can experience success and balance that with with the times that they're going to be struggling you see struggling is one of those words isn't it that's often used negatively but actually every time we learn anything new whether we're children or adults, we're, we're struggling. So mm -hmm. struggling is a way through something difficult, something new, something challenging. And the, the joy that you feel when you come through that is much, much more significant than completing something successfully that you could already do. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I say that to the kids, it's the joy of the struggle. I enjoy watching you struggle. <laughs> um, and I read it actually in a book recently. It is. It's the joy of the struggle, seeing them face those challenges and seeing what skills they use to, to you know, overcome those challenges. And when they become practiced in it, they love it. They do. They do. Absolutely. So um, we've got a question. I'm going to read it to you, Di, um, because I said that we'd be getting questions as we're doing this live. So someone's asked, should we be preparing students for jobs that don't yet exist? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And the, mm. the challenge for us is how do we do that when we don't know what they're going to be? Yeah. But that's always been that's always been the case. You know, I've been in education for, for decades now and that changes all the time. So many of the jobs that exist now didn't exist 10 years ago, didn't exist 20 years ago. And what can we be doing to prepare our children and young people for jobs that don't yet exist? We have to skill them up with these very powerful learning skills. The, the learning skills that I've just referred to, you know, about being able to be resourceful and independent and flexible and to be able to manage change and to be able to review progress and generate new ideas and to become analytical about the things that they're required to do and to be really good, effective communicators. You know, if you look at um, some of the things that are produced in different parts of the country about what um, employers are looking for in young people leaving education, none of them say as the first thing their, their, their capacity in um, English and maths. Those do crop up, but always the first things on the list are effective communicators, people who can organise themselves, people who are reliable, people who can make decisions, people who can work in any setting, get on with anyone, who will engage with challenge, who will um, manage change effectively. And all of those things are part of what it is to be an effective learner. So I think that's how we best prepare them for the things that we don't know that are going to exist yet. Because as we don't know, we have to ensure that they're going to be able to manage whatever there comes their way. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why I loved that statement that I've used in our vision statement, because it's about preparing students, not for something, but for anything. And exactly what that question is saying, it's, are, you know, are we preparing them for jobs that don't yet exist? Yeah, we're yeah, preparing we them for anything. Absolutely. And, and, it's, and it's worth remembering that actually, I mentioned earlier on about education is playing the long game. It's about investment. It's about investment. What if we invest anything, if we put money into an investment, if we want to see some growth, we don't try and take it out next week or next month or even next year. It generally has to sit there for quite a long time, those sorts of investments, and they have to be take the buffeting of the market or whatever's going to happen. And hopefully at the end of the day, you come out with growth. And it's exactly the same. We need to make a really big investment in our children. We invest in them when they're very young and 
hopefully we get the outcomes that are going to benefit them, Flora, as you say, to live whatever lives they go on to live successfully and happily because we've made that significant investment in the first place and we haven't marginalised them by simply focusing on high stakes assessment. Completely agreed. And Leanne has also written in on the comment. She said she totally agrees with this and feels the pressure we put on children for handwriting doesn't seem as important anymore. No, and I'd, I'd agree with that. I don't, I don't think, I think it's, it's important that children, whatever they have in terms of touch screens and, and keyboards and everything, I think, I think writing is a skill which they will continue to need and should encourage, be encouraged and developed in school. But the emphasis that was always placed on it being very, very precise, I don't know. I think if it's I think if it's legible and intelligible, then then probably we can we can live with that because most things now happen in terms of word processing and on a screen. Yeah, that's true. So before we get on to thinking about where schools start with this process, I was actually looking through your book last night, Di. Um, and is it Tom Robson or Robson? Robson. Robson. So Tom also wrote with you the Think Like a Learner um, book for the students. Yeah, he did. But yeah, in the foreword that he wrote for your book, I, I'm just going to read that. Is that okay? Of course. So in the foreword, Tom Robson wrote something, I think just it, it summarizes everything. And it's at the beginning of Dye's book, Towards Successful Learning. Pick it up if you haven't seen it. And he's written... I think the only thing we can guarantee on our journey through life is that we will sometimes get stuck, sometimes get fed up, and sometimes get lost. If our education system is to be of worth, it must teach our young learners what to do when each or all of these happen in their lives. What makes us successful in life is not necessarily what we know, but our capacity to respond positively when we do get stuck or fed up or lost on our learning journey. The attitudes we develop when we are young will help or hinder us as we search for the treasures that learning offers. The attitudes we model as adults impact on young learners with some force positively or negatively. Our responsibility as older learners is to make sure we model what we want young learners to do. So I just thought that was really, I mean, it sort of summarizes everything, doesn't it? It's about getting children prepared for life. And we will get stuck. We are going to face challenges. We're going to face major hurdles in our life. And it's about giving the children the skills, the resilience, giving them strategies to develop resilience so that when they do get stuck, when they do get fed up, when they do get lost, it's about, you know, they they know what to do. Absolutely. Um, Tom, Tom and I've worked together for, for many years and um, uh, I've learned a huge amount from him. And um, I was, I was enormously um, 
thrilled by the forward that forward that you've just read that he um that he wrote for my book but um he he and I would both agree it's but it's about enabling these children to be successful in life and to do things to the best of their capacity it's not about dropping standards it's not about expecting less and even even going back to your previous caller who was asking about the handwriting, you know, yes, it's important and let's make it as good as we can. But let's not assume that children don't have any other skills because their handwriting isn't particularly brilliant. Um, it's about this recognizing that it's one of the things and it's about enabling our children to be as successful as possible in all those different areas of the learning um, and not what we what we tend to do is measure in a very very narrow way and because we measure in that narrow way it's always been said hasn't it we measure what's easy to measure and all the things in effective learning that are the most significant are the hardest to measure which is why it is a real challenge for us as educators as well yeah, absolutely. But um, because I know there's the naysayers out there. I've had debates with them and yeah, had too. a debate very recently with um, someone quite high up. <laughs> um, but in um, the Learning Power School, one of the things in the book, The Learning Power School, one of the things that I had taken from it um, for my dissertation is this quote, which is really, really um pertinent to what we're talking about. And I'm just going to read it now. And it says, helping students learn how to be better learners is one of the most effective ways of raising their achievement, never mind its role in preparing them for life. Absolutely. The more, yeah, the more curious, adventurous, resilient, and independent they become, the better their grades. When students are encouraged to help each other learn, for example, there is a substantial effect on their achievement and the size of the effect increases the more control and responsibility they are allowed to take. So it does. It does raise achievement. And we know that children who can do, do these things and implement these strategies do better on tests, do better yeah. on yeah. everything. It absolutely does raise achievement. It just doesn't necessarily raise achievement as quickly as people would like it to. That's the issue. Yeah, yeah. And it is, as you said, I love the whole, um, the way you refer to it as an investment. This is an investment into children's long game. And I think, you know, when we started implementing it at Cromarsh, it, it doesn't change things overnight. It can't. Yeah. It's about the culture. It is. And we all know that cultural change takes time and, it, and it takes it takes struggle um, and it takes it takes effort. And that, of course, is another key word that we want children to accept and understand is part of their learning, that it's an effort. A learning is an effort. It shouldn't be easy. Um, and, 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 and the same applies to us when we're trying to develop this, this, this culture for learning. It requires an ongoing effort from all of us. Um, and I, was, I remember a colleague that um, I, I worked with for many years who said it's about having a relentless focus on what is important. 
And the word there that I think is so powerful is relentless. It doesn't mean that you can have that focus on it sometimes or three days a week. It's, it's, it's relentless. It has to be all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's the thing is a lot of schools trying to implement these things like growth mindset was one of them where suddenly all these posters appear across school about developing your growth mindset. What's the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset? And it's not about posters on a wall. Yeah, we do have a few posters around Cromarch, obviously, but it's about embedding it and making it a part of the air we breathe. The staff should be talking about it in everything they do, in every lesson. And it's not about a one-off lesson for developing effective learning or purple learning, as we might refer to it at school. It's about bringing it up in every learning experience that we're giving the children. Yes, and I think I think I think you're absolutely right there and I think what we need to remember is that the posters on the wall are useful. Um, referring to engaging with challenges, becoming a purple learner is useful because these are all elements of scaffolding that have been designed to enable children to understand the process that we are taking them through to understand some of the more significant things by giving them some hooks to hang things on. But if we ensure that we have a relentless focus on those things and it does become part of the daily learning conversation in our classrooms, then ultimately they don't need that scaffolding. It's like when you raise scaffolding to 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 build a building you don't leave the scaffolding there when when the building's finished so it would be the the um ideal situation that when children are leaving primary education they don't need those scaffolds anymore because they have been so immersed in it that it's now become part of who they are as learners yeah, absolutely. It's removing the scaffold that when they leave primary, when they hit secondary, they have everything they need to be successful, independent learners. Love yeah, it. Learn in their learning toolbox, indeed. Yeah, in their toolbox. Okay, so where should a school start with all of this? Oh, my goodness. Right. Okay. <laughs> where should a school start? Well, it's very, it's very easy and it's sometimes very tempting to look at all this kind of this, this menu of things that you can introduce that look sort of um, interesting and new and exciting. Um, and I understand the temptation there, but I would urge people making a start with this to start with the staff community, um, to talk with the staff about... so. What does it feel like to be a learner? What do we think learning is? What do we think learning success is? What do we ultimately want most for the children in this learning community? And to, and to, and to, start, to start with that before and, and to try out some of these ideas as a staff group so that the staff have that experience of being a learner rather than their experience being sometimes limited in the classroom to being that of a teacher. And then to begin to 
do the same things, but with their with their children in their classrooms to then go to their children and say, okay, so what do we think learning is? What do we think we're here for? Do we think we're here to get everything right? What are we actually here for? What do we think success feels like? What does it look like? What does success mean to you? And once you've got that shared understanding, then you can start to begin to look at things like, okay, so if we think this is what it means to be a learner, what helps me most as a learner? What stops me from learning? What blocks my learning? What gets in the way? What, what do I need to help me to get better with that? And, and those are the ways to begin to develop that, that culture in the classroom. And then you can move into things like how we, how we look at mistake making, how we look at challenge. But I would, I would leave those things until there's a, a kind of a, a, a groundswell of understanding about what we mean by learning and successful learning and where we want to go with this. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's sort of exactly how we did it at our school. Um, you started it with the staff and that's where it has to start. Um, and then we filter it out to the children. But I think as we've said through this, it's not overnight. It's about the process. It's about embedding it in absolutely everything. And even now, my assemblies that I do always have an element of purple learning or metacognition or something yeah. in them. Yeah. Um, because we talk about it constantly, especially absolutely. after COVID. Especially after absolutely. COVID, we've kind of relaunched this thing of, of making sure that children really understand what it means to be that effective learner i think it's almost more relevant and important now than it's ever been um because of what our because of what we've all lived through and what our children have lived through um and and as you and i've often said flora if not now then when absolutely absolutely i mean and of this course, this it, has it, got to start if 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 all the listeners want want more um research-based evidence on this, then I would refer them to the EEF. Yeah, I was going to mention that, actually. Yeah, so the EEF, if you don't know, the Education Endowment Foundation have a new research um, paper, which is all about metacognition and self-regulated learning, which is so refreshing to see because it just shows how important it is. Um, and in it, there's seven recommendations for teaching self-regulated learning and metacognition. Um, and even in that, it starts by saying that the evidence suggests that the use of metacognitive strategies can be equivalent of an additional seven months progress yeah. if applied effectively. So we know the impact it can have. So every school, secondary, primary, every school should be implementing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's and it's it's very it's, I agree with you. It's very refreshing. It's very refreshing to read it. But actually, the EEF's view has developed over time, but it hasn't changed. Yeah. 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 But, it, you know, the more schools that start implementing it, the better it is for learning of all of our children. Absolutely. OK, so. Do you want to talk a little bit about your um, building better learners project, becoming better learners? Oh well, the the into the future project. You're into the future. Di keeps trying to retire, and I'm not letting her. 
Uh, no, well, I, I am retired. I am yeah. retired. But part of my retirement project, if you like, was to ensure that um, many of the the schools and colleagues I've worked with um, uh, that this is taken forward. That it doesn't that it doesn't just stop. It doesn't stop with a book. It doesn't stop because I'm not doing it anymore. And so I'm currently working with um, a group of. 10 exceptional professionals of which Flora is one um, and we've been working as a group over the last two years um, some of it online wasn't it Flora during the pandemic but um, we've been working together um, looking re-looking at all of the important significant things that have taken these educators and their organizations to where they now are so that they are then making a commitment to take this on into the future where it will change and develop because it's organic. When I, when I first started, when I first wrote the first version of Towards Successful Learning, it hadn't got in it an awful lot of the things that I've been doing subsequently because these things are organic. They do develop, they do change. And the people that I've learned most from along the way have been the children, have been the children that I've worked with, had the privilege of working with, and it's been in conversation and in experiences with them that I have learned to develop the, some of the things that I've done with schools because it's been about meeting learners' needs rather than what I thought teachers ought to do. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and it's been, I mean, a privilege to be a part of that project. So thank you, and I'm honored. Um, but thank you for being here this morning, Di. It's been amazing to have you. And I didn't want to do my first show without you because this is what I know works. I've seen it. And when we started it at Cromarsh, it was a transformation. It apps, you know, there's no other word for it. It actually transformed everything we did in school. And it still does. And I think even the staff who'd, who'd been there, you know, some of them who'd been there for a, a long while had said it was the best thing to come into the school because it makes sense. Yeah, that's it. It just makes sense. And for schools not to be doing it is crazy. So thank you so much for being here this morning. I cannot thank you enough. And well done. We both have stepped out of our comfort zones and been <laughs> we true <did>. purple learners. <laughs> we certainly did, Flora. Um, thank you so much for um, having me on your first show. It's been, it's been um, a privilege to work with you over the years. And um, I know that we will continue to at least talk together. Of course um, we will even long past my retirement date. So, um, yeah, so um, well done. I think you've done a brilliant job this morning and I shall enjoy listening to the rest of the show. And thank oh, well, you for thank having you. me on. Thank you so much for being on, Di. Honestly, thank you. And I'll speak with you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye-bye, Flora. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. So if you are here and you've just joined us, we are talking about developing a culture of effective learning in your school. And we've just had Diana Pardo on talking all about what it looks like in practice. And if you haven't seen her book, Towards Successful Learning, 
do pick it up because it talks about everything we've been talking about this morning um, and, you know, everything we've implemented at our school and it works. That's all I can say is it works. And if you want something that is going to raise attainment, that is going to help your children and and help them prepare themselves for anything that comes, you're preparing them for life. And isn't that what all schools should be doing? All right. So if you're joining us, it's at TT Radio 2022 and also use the hashtag and do tweet us and do tell us if you're enjoying the show. As I said, this is completely out of my comfort zone and it was for Di, um, but we are doing it because that's what purple learners do. We step out of our comfort zone into our challenge zone. So I'm going to play the um, ads in just a minute, but we're going to have on soon another guest, which is Sharman Raman. And she is a teacher at my school who makes the magic happen. She is true magic. And she was also a silver award winner for the Pearson Teaching Awards for Outstanding New Teacher of the Year, because she is brilliant. She's amazing. But uh, I could say that about the whole team at my school because they truly are. But she's going to come on and talk to us about what this effective learning actually looks like in her class. And she teaches year one. So it's coming from a year one perspective. But she's also going to talk a little bit about what she sees across the school as well. Um, and hopefully you will get an insight into what it actually looks like in practice. So again, you are listening to The Breakfast Show with Flora Cooper, and I'm going to go to the ads, and then we'll come back and meet Sharman. All right, here we go. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N.co.uk. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, 
then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. report on the Politics Home website explores the issue of the UK granting refuge to staff and students at British international schools in Ukraine. In a letter to Boris Johnson, Colin Bell, CEO of the Council of British International Schools, urged the Prime Minister to provide a safe haven to 700 children and numerous Ukrainian staff at schools in the war-torn country. Under the current scheme, only Ukrainians with relatives in the UK are entitled to seek refuge while those with no family links must be sponsored by a person, business, charity or organisation. The British International School has three campuses in capital Kyiv and the city Dimpiro, both under siege from Russian military. In the letter, Bell says they have significant concern for the 700 children enrolled in the school, and he requests reassurance that no barrier will be put in their way to enter the UK. A government spokesperson responded to Politics Home by reiterating the rules of schemes currently in place. In Scotland, the TES magazine reports that Scotland's largest teaching union has opened a consultative strike ballot over Dundee City Council's proposals to move to a faculty structure in its secondary schools. Faculties have long been established in many parts of Scotland and involve more than one subject being grouped together under the leadership of a faculty head. The EIS Teaching Union is urging all of its members in Dundee Secondary Schools to support strike action. Critics of the faculty approach argue that it is driven by cost-cutting rather than improving standards. The EIS says the plan for Dundee will cost money and remove valuable experience and leadership. Stuart Hunter of Dundee City Council said, The change is designed to improve the quality of learning and teaching in our secondary schools and is only one of a range of measures to improve the situation as we work to reduce the attainment gap. In an article in the Daily Nigerian, Dr. Peter Ogodoro, 2021 Facebook Community Accelerator Award winner, says functional education delivered by highly motivated teachers should be considered Africa's route out of poverty. Mr. Ogodoro made the comments whilst addressing Kenyan teachers in Nairobi. He said that Facebook was supporting a Nigerian teachers community of over 300,000 members to promote learner-centred teaching. He said Facebook was assisting teachers in acquiring cutting-edge skills in teaching and school promotion to help improve teacher welfare and promote economic well-being. Speaking about teachers' conditions of service, he encouraged public and private school owners to pay teachers well and invest enormously in their development. Mr Ogodoro said he founded the Nigerian Teachers Facebook community in 2016 as a platform for teachers to share free resources for quality teaching and networking. Mr Ogodoro is an alumnus of the University of Reading, where he earned a PhD in education. 
The National Association of Head Teachers Union reports on its website that leaders representing schools across Wales were joined by their Education Minister Jeremy Miles as they debated key issues for schools in Wales at NAHT Cymru's annual policy conference. Delegates will debate and agree key policy objectives on curriculum and assessment, accountability, well-being, funding, as well as a range of other issues. Karina Hansen, President of NAHT Cymru, thanked him for joining to hear the concerns of school leaders in Wales. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, today I'm responding to a tweet from Michelle Stevens at M underscore Stevens Zero, pointing out to at Team English One that a lot of people don't know about the snipping tool, and she was compiling a list of shortcuts. The thread sparked a lot of fantastic responses and inspired today's Two Minute Tech. Today I present Getting Snippy With It. In Windows, a simple shortcut combo of Windows plus Shift plus S opens the snipping tool. The snipping tool is like an advanced version of print screen. After the combo key press, a small menu appears giving you five options. Rectangle select, which is draw a box around what you want, freeform select which is draw a shape around what you want, window select which is pick the window you want to capture, screen select which captures the full screen or replication of the print screen button. Some may say there's no point to this but stay tuned, there is. Finally there's a cross to close and pressing escape can do the same thing. If you have an interactive board you can pin snip and sketch to your taskbar, right click the icon and select pin to taskbar. Now you can press it to make screen grabs and not have to go over to the keyboard. Snip and sketch also gives you the ability to annotate on a screenshot. To make this even more powerful did you know pressing Windows and V shows your last 25 captures to your clipboard? The first time you use this, you'll need to switch on the feature by pressing Windows and V and agreeing to switch it on. Now you can take several screen captures and then paste them into the app you're presenting with. This can be very time efficient. For this week's visual version of the episode, I've made a series of clips and given some real life examples of using the snipping tool. So don't forget to check out TT Radio 2020 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the breakfast show with Flora Cooper, your host for our first breakfast show. Um, we've just had Diana Pardo on talking about what effective and successful learning looks like in practice in schools and why it's so important. Um, and that's what we're talking about this morning. And in a moment, I'm going to be bringing on one of the teachers at our school, Sharman Rahman, who is fantastic, year one teacher. And I'm going to repeat it again, much to Sharman's annoyance. She was silver award winner for the Pearson Teaching Awards for Outstanding New Teacher of the Year. But she's brilliant, as is all the team at our school, I have to say. Uh, fantastic team. But she's going to talk about what this purple learning we've been referring to it as, which is really just the scaffold that we use um, to help children understand about these skills and strategies that we're teaching them and developing them in school. Things like resilience and understanding what to do when you get stuck, understanding about mistakes and learning from our mistakes and the difference between good mistakes and silly mistakes. And this whole thing that Di and I were talking about, the joy of the struggle and using these words, struggle and effort, 
as positive learning words because that is what learning is all about. So if you're listening along, remember it's at TT Radio 2022 and hashtag join in the conversation, the debate, whatever you want to call it. And here we go. We're going to welcome in Charmin. Charmin, are you there? Good morning. Hi, I'm here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being on our first show. <laughs> so welcome, Charmin. I know you hate me telling everyone about that Pearson Award, but you should be so proud because it is that magic you create in your classroom. So tell us a little bit about you. Okay, so um, I've been teaching now. This is my fifth year, so um, it's it's still like how it was on the day one I started. I still love exactly what I do. And um, I think I went through the PGC route to get into teaching and I've always really wanted to be a teacher. So, yeah, I just love what I do. And I think so much of my life is about my job. And I think that's why I feel so passionately about um, teaching children and teaching young children and just trying to make sure that I can do the, my, my best to bring out the best in them. Amazing. And that is exactly what you do. And I think, as you said, teachers don't get into teaching as a job. It's their purpose in life. I think we all join teaching because we love it and we want to make a difference. And I just want to um, make you a little bit more ner nervous, Sherman. But um, I've just seen that Ed Finch is listening. <laughs> and I know there's a little bit of history there because Ed used to be your teacher, didn't he? Yes. Um... Ed used to be my year five and year six teacher for a while. So um, that's that's nice. Thank you, Flora. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's fantastic. I love that. All right. So five years. I can't believe it's been five years since you started at Crow Marsh. It's gone so fast. So we've been doing verbal learning then and talking about metacognition and this effective learning since you started. Yeah. So tell us about what purple learning looks like in your classroom. I think purple learning looks like, what it looks like in the classroom is that it really gives children the ability to talk about their learning, who they are as learners, and it really helps them identify key areas that they are focusing on, things that they need to improve on, and all of that really comes from the way we sort of approach it, approach how they are making their mistakes and giving them that language to cope with it and really modeling all of those emotions that children go through when when they come across something, when they get stuck. Because it's, it's scary getting stuck on something when you've got other children in the classroom, sometimes most, a lot of them who can actually get on. And then you've got, you come across problems that you do get stuck on. So it's just really helped, I think, all the children identify how they can improve, how they can get better and what they actually need to do with their learning. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's about teaching children how to talk about themselves as learners. It's about getting children to be able to even as young as yours in year one. And I have to mention, we now start this at Cromarsh from preschool. So preschool have just joined us this year, but even they have begun talking to the children about what learning is, who they are in that learning process. And as you said, Sharman, it's about 
teaching children how to talk about themselves as learners and understand what they need to do to improve. Absolutely. Um, so how do you think our children benefit from, you know, us using an approach such as purple learning or the way we talk about metacognition and giving them these, these strategies? How do you think that our children are at an advantage to maybe children in schools where this isn't embedded? Um, I think it just sort of goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think what it enables the children to do is it gives them that language to say, um, I'm stuck or how can I actually come overcome that when you sometimes you have like a brain freeze, for example, you have that as adults and children have it too. So it gives them that sort of strategy where we've got like the five point um, five point plan. So it gives them things to talk through so they can talk to a partner, talk to people on their table, use the resources in the classrooms. And it just sort of scaffolds it, like you were saying before in your interview, I think, and <clears throat> really enables them to become more independent in themselves. And it just helps them become more independent learners, I think, and just guides them through that process. They've always got us adults in the classroom to actually help them through it, but it just gives them that reassurance that they can actually try having a go themselves and then they've got support if they need it yeah and I think that's really important that you know the the five-point plan and I always have to tell people when I'm taking them around school yes the teacher doesn't actually feature on the five-point plan but I promise you the teachers are still there <laughs> um but yeah and when I come into the classes that's what I want to hear the children talk about it's about children talking about their learning and understanding um what they do when they do get stuck because that's what learning's about if children aren't getting stuck then we as teachers aren't doing our job um so the thing I want to ask because obviously you know that I am a huge advocate of this, and I think every single school in the world should be embedding this culture and this approach in their schools. How would you convince other teachers, especially in this, you know, the, the context that we're working in now where it's so Ofsted heavy, and you know me, Sharman, I don't do anything for Ofsted, and I'm, you know, completely <laughs> against the status quo where people are always hearing the fact that we've got to catch up. We've, we've got to focus on the math and English skills. We've got to make sure that these gaps are filled in. We've got to get ready for SATs and all this pressure. How do you then convince other teachers that actually taking a step back and focusing on this as a school should be the priority? I think um, one of the things that I would recommend is just having a go as teachers having a go or giving them as a task something that's a little bit out of their comfort zone that's something they will get wrong perhaps and not get right immediately and how you feel and how actually you approach that task and what would you do and that's exactly what children go through all the time is when they come stuck how do they actually go through it? and what purple learning does is that it enables them to talk through all of those problems and one of the things that um, I think early on I developed with my TA when I first started working was we came up with a little slogan in class, which was don't panic. And <clears throat> that's what I still use from this day. And I think it just really helps and 
just like you were saying about stepping back and thinking actually wait I don't need to panic about this and I just need to step back and think things through that's what we do with the children so anyone who's going to think about approaching this as a new way is thinking when you come across a problem what do you do and what's your mindset and it's about having changing that mindset because sometimes we across come across adults and children who think actually I can't do this um, I'm going to give up and that's exactly what we don't want to sort of encourage in our children is giving them that chance to not give up but have that resilience to really think about how they're going to carry on and keep on trying and until they actually you know become successful as we were talking about those successful learners not in just in their learning but as an individual as well and I think that's one of the key areas I really focus on in my classroom is to not just focus on them as their learning but also as the learners because I think that's quite two different things then and when they both work hand, um, together alongside that's when you really see the magic happen and you really see children really thinking and getting involved with their own learning and you see that joy in their face when they've seen that progress they've made and they can really talk about it then and I've got children as young as five you know who can tell me how they've improved from September to December and that's not a really long period of time and that's when you see how much of an impact it has in the classroom and with children. Yeah, absolutely. And your children can talk about it. And this is the thing I don't think people realize is when you really have something embedded and it permeates in everything you do, the children and the teachers and everyone in school talk about it. And not just the sort of, you know, the shallow talk, but the deep understanding of as you said, Charmin, understanding themselves as learners and understanding what that actually means and being able to articulate what it means to be a successful learner, what it means to take that next step to challenge themselves and, you know, to actually talk about what strategies they would employ if they get stuck and how they're going to be successful and persevere with the task at hand. Yeah. And it really is just it it's amazing to listen to those conversations and to hear the children truly understand it completely different absolutely and I think they can not only just say oh yes I've improved the way I can write my A's or the letters that they're writing but it's actually the process they can tell you how they felt at the beginning when they weren't able to do it and how they felt after being able to become that successful learner where they've you know taken all these steps and actually worked towards becoming more successful in whatever target they were working towards yeah no absolutely and that's that's the thing they can they can tell you what changed as well in themselves as a learner so if they do get stuck it's it's what actually did I do as a learner to help me get unstuck or what would I do differently? So one of the things I know that our children are really good at is about evaluating, you know, where they went wrong or what they could do differently. Um, and I think that's really, really embedded, which is fantastic to see. So as a teacher, Charmin, yeah. how does purple learning help you I think as an it, adult, <laughs> I think it also pushes us teachers out of our comfort zone, because I think all of us at our school, 
are pushed out of our comfort zone in terms of purple learning and how we encourage the children to be the better version of themselves and how we encourage them to be those independent learners and I think as a teacher it really enables me to think about actually am I am I also modeling those purple learning attitudes and behaviors um, and how am I modeling that to the children so whether that's modeling that in the way I make mistakes. So we do a lot of work on how we can learn through our mistakes in class and our, I think across the school. And then just talking through it. So for example, if I'm modeling some writing, actually making those mistakes and making it really natural for children and modeling it. So if there's a word I've missed out in a sentence that I've I've written. So just thinking actually thinking it out loud and really talking about all those steps. So it just also challenges yourself. And actually, sometimes you think, even in the middle of a lesson, actually, yeah, that's that's right. I've made a mistake. And children will very, very naturally, I think, as a pros- product of purple learning, will point out, oh, Miss Raman, you've made a mistake here. What can you do to change it? And they will help you actually work through it as well. So I think, and then I think it just really um, creates a good sense of teamwork between the adults and the children in school. So <laughs> I'm just laughing because Ed Finch has actually made a comment, Sharman. She said, <laughs> he said, it must be hard. I don't remember you making many mistakes in class. No, any mistakes in class. <laughs> I think I did. I think I did definitely make mistakes. That's why I'm here because I've, I've learned so much through making mistakes. So you must have been a really good teacher, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, excellent. And it is about modeling this to the children. And as I said, it's about a culture of learning. So it's about the staff and the children, you know, taking part. And so it is very much about the, you know, the teachers modeling, making mistakes and how they react, what they do with those mistakes. Ed said, I modeled making lots and lots of mistakes. <laughs> well, you must have, Ed, because Sharman is a fantastic teacher. She's done amazingly well. You'd be so proud. <laughs> um, so, Sharman, if you were to go into another school, if you were to leave our school, you're not leaving our school, by the way. <laughs> She's not up for grabs, everyone. Um, no, but if you went into another school that wanted to take on the approach of purple learning, so I haven't really mentioned, so purple learning is what we refer to it up to about year five. And then year five and six, the children focus more on the language of metacognition. Um, they still refer to it and hear it in school as purple learning. So they know what it is because they've grown up with it. But um, it's more the metacognition language that we would talk about in year five and six. And the purple comes about because obviously in, in the center, you have your comfort zone, which is the blue zone. And then and this relates to how you were talking about how they feel with their learning, Charmin. Yeah. And then the outside is your red zone, which is the danger where you're panicking and that sense of panic takes over. And in between both of those is your purple zone, which is your challenge zone, which is why we refer to it as purple learning. Um, so if you went into a, another school that wasn't doing it, what would be your first sort of top tip to get them to establish it or bring it in? 
I think I may have already briefly touched on this, but I'll go over it again. Um, I think what I'd do is give them a little task, all the adults a task that's oh, yeah. quite hard for them to complete and see how they approach it and what 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 do they do with it and because we are asking children to do those tasks for some of which especially in year one some of the things we ask them to do is things they've never done before so how do we expect children to go and do something they've never done before and actually enable them to talk about things through so if adults can come across something that they can get stuck on and how they think about it. it just goes and then you can actually talk about the principles of purple learning is what they do in that moment are they in the challenge zone are they are they not in the challenge zone and all of those little um sort of things of are they persevering with the task or not and how they approach it and i think that would be a really good point to start all of those conversations yeah and what a powerful way to see how children react to mistakes or yeah. when things don't go right um, and such a great platform to have those conversations and discussions with staff about you know well what are we going to do to help little johnny in the corner who's crying there because you know he's completely got frustrated with himself because it's not working um yeah a really great idea Sharman. fantastic so Sharman and I said we were going to end this by maybe giving a couple of suggestions of books um, and things that we've used in school to help you have these discussions with the children. And I know we talked about, Sharman, the um, Fantastic Elastic Brain, yeah. uh, which is a brilliant book. Actually, it was recommended by Di to me. And we've used it a lot of times to start the year off as a way to remind children about metacognition and our brains and how, how our brains work and how learning works. Um, so that's a really great book that we would definitely recommend. What are some other books, Sherman, that people could use to sort of highlight this, you know, making mistakes and learning from them and these different skills of bounce back ability ability um, and resilience and things like that. I think um, one of the thing, books that I really enjoy using in the classroom is Ruby's Worry, because a lot of the learning that comes with it, I think a lot of children have lots of worries. And that's one of the things I've seen a lot, I think, perhaps as a result of COVID, I'm not sure, is children have a lot of worries about making mistakes, getting things wrong. There's all this anxiety that comes with it, I think. And one of those books that really help just get the conversation started and children talk about when they've had moments in the classroom or not, um, where they felt a little bit worried and it just really gets them to talk about it. And that's Ruby's Worry. Brilliant. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Sharman. Well, thank you so much for Sharman coming onto the show, our first show. <laughs> so a huge thank you, Sharman. Um, you know, for coming on. I know it was out of your comfort zone. So a huge thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely just talking through everything. No, it's brilliant. And I will talk to you soon. <laughs> so we've had Diana Pardo and Sharman Rahman on talking about creating an effective learning culture in your school. And now is the time to do it. So if you've been listening and you've heard what Di said, you've heard what Sharman said, it's time. It's time to make a change. It's time to actually take a step back 
and think about what is going to create the biggest transformation in learning for your children. And I promise you, this is it. Because when you are preparing children to face anything, you're preparing them for life. And there's nothing more powerful than that. And even in Dai's book, uh, she referred to a quote from Mick Waters, who was director of curriculum. And this was back in 2006. So this is how long we were trying to make a change. He said, schools want to know they have permission to do things differently. Press the play button. We have been on pause for long enough. The learner needs to engage. So now is absolutely the time. We've, we're coming through COVID, and now is the time to change. Now is the time to put effective learning in place the way it should be. So thank you all so much for listening. You've been listening to at Teacher Talk Radio. And do join in the debate and tweet it out at TT Radio 2022. And thank you all so much for joining me as I've stepped out of my comfort zone to do this radio show. Um, and thank you for joining me for the breakfast show. And I look forward to hopefully having you along in the next two weeks for my next show. And I will hopefully see you all soon. Take care, everyone. Thanks again for joining. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.